0: Asia specifically, there's $1.8 trillion of required medical health care that people actually need, but they don't actually end up getting because they don't have enough savings or private health insurance to cover.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Rise of the Next. Today, Christina Kai, who's the co-founder and CEO of Lydia AI, joins me to discuss how her company provides life and health insurers with personalized health assessment scores to help make their plans more accessible to the underinsured and uninsured. Christina also shares why she chose to launch her company out of Taiwan. Do hope you enjoy the episode. Now let's get to it. Christina, welcome to Rise of the Next. It's wonderful to have you on. I'd love to start by asking you to tell us about yourself. What is Lydia AI and how did you come up with the idea?
0: Thank you for having me. My name is Christina. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Lydia AI. We help life and health insurance companies figure out how to protect more people by using new sources of data to underwrite them. The way it works is that we look at different data sources, such as your wearable, your sleep, your steps, your accelerometer, your medical records and other lifestyle factors. And we actually use that to create a health index that actually mimics your biological age. So that's your actual health as opposed to your health risk based on your age. Then from then on, we give consumers a better understanding of how their health is evolving and how their health compares to people in their age and gender group. We give insurance companies the ability to use these new sources of data that actually predict how a person's health risk compared to somebody in their health and age and gender group. We allow them to instantly and accurately assess their health risks so that they can actually offer them personalized policies and actually figure out how to insure more people. So when we first started, our original, when we were just a machine learning company, was actually make the world's healthcare data useful because there was so much healthcare data. Most of it is in freeform text. It was unused. We had a piece of technology that allowed us to structure it so that it can be fed into machine learning models. And so we had all this ability to unlock previously unused data, spit out predictions, and it took us a while to be like, hey, you know what? The industry that could most benefit from a better way to index and assess health risk was actually life and health insurance. So then that's how we ended up in the life and health insurance industry.
1: What problem are you trying to solve? So when we
0: really look at it. Life and health insurance in emerging regions struggle with innovating products because everybody's using the same country level disease incidence Right, rate. Disease rates are based on, OK, this is how old you are and your gender. And really, a lot of the times people don't necessarily fit into these neat little boxes, especially when it comes to categorizing their health. So what ends up happening is that insurance companies, first of all, struggle to innovate with great insurance products that fit their needs. Second of all, they struggle with underwriting a lot of these people at the correct and accurate risk that they actually have. So they end up missing a lot of people. A lot of people end up falling through the cracks, getting rejected. And third of all, for customers, there's a huge barriers
1: to actually purchasing it. And why does this problem exist in emerging regions specifically?
0: I think when we look at it, this issue is all over the world. In every country you can find, you will find that people have gone through medical bankruptcy. And the reason behind that is because despite universal health care coverage, it's usually coverage for universal basic coverage. So there's still a portion of it that is actually out of pocket cost. So if you've received a medical bill and you've had to pay some sort of amount out of pocket, then you understand that this portion that you have to pay yourself is either covered by a private health insurance or be your savings. And when we look at that, that's the portion we want to see more people have private insurance to so that they don't actually fall through the cracks of this. And in Asia specifically, there's $1.8 trillion dollars required medical health care that people actually need, but they don't actually end up getting because they don't have enough savings or private health insurance to cover. What does that stat represent exactly? $1.8 trillion is the gap between how much health care people actually need, but they don't get because they can't pay for it.
1: So $1.8 trillion in medical
0: care. In medical care, yeah, that people need, but they don't get because they can't pay for it. So that's really the out-of-pocket expenses. So those are the things that people have to pay out-of-pocket that they don't have private health insurance to cover and they don't have the necessary savings in order to be able to cover that amount.
1: Where's that data from, by the way? uh, Swiss Reinsure. Got that. Now, Christina, you're based in Toronto and your co-founder is based in Taiwan. Why did you set up Lydia AI in Taiwan?
0: So we actually started out of the University of Toronto with a piece of machine learning technology. So actually, our entire machine learning team is in Toronto. And it's actually our clients that recognize what our algos can do and actually evolved with us, evolved with them into Asia. And they said, hey, this is the region that you should really target. You'd be able to get traction and go to market really quickly to prove out that, hey, we can use new sources to underwrite, then expand into other areas. So at that point, when we had the technology, we started building out a go-to-market and sales and marketing team out in Taiwan. And now we're going to build one in Singapore as well to really expand first in that region, show the initial traction, show that the idea works, and then really see how we go to market.
1: You said that the initial problem Lydia AI wanted to solve was particular to emerging markets and Asia specifically. But why Taiwan? The reason we picked
0: Taiwan is because they're actually one of the leaders in what we call open health data. So this is about data availability. And what we mean by that is that the government has actually invested heavily into creating this e-health framework of which having the population's electronic medical health records centralized as part of their uh, universal health care. So when you make a claim with the government, they actually store your health and they wanted to make that open. So they actually have a health API that allows customers to actually consent to this type of data to trusted third parties. So with Taiwan, it was a market that really it's actually the 10th largest insurance market. Third and ages, a really big insurance market. And also there was a really friendly data environment because the government is heavily invested into these initiatives that we had the data environment we needed in order to quickly prove out the traction that we needed to see with a health risks or to enable us to grow into other markets.
1: Can you describe the healthcare system in
0: Taiwan? So there is universal healthcare that covers basic healthcare expenditures And then there are portions of it depending on specialty treatments, especially in the realm of cancer treatments that are purely out of pocket. So unlike Canada, where our R&D and machine learning team is in, where most things are actually covered under universal health care. In Taiwan specifically, there are certain things that are covered under the government, and there are certain things that are covered in these out-of-pocket expenses. And usually people buy private health insurance or use savings to cover that gap between the universal health coverage and also the out-of-pocket expenses.
1: How do these markets
0: compare to other health systems? I think out-of-pocket expenses, the the combination of universal health care and out-of-pocket expenses and having some sort of insurance schemes, whether it's government mandated, like in the US, or government covered, because we have a single payer system in Canada, or in other areas. It's really about how, what is the portion where people typically can expect to actually pay for? And do they have a way that they've planned early in order to pay for that? So that's really what we're looking for. So regardless of which country you're in, it's some system of universal basic universal healthcare government will cover out of pocket expenses that needs insurance to cover, whether that's through a government mandated plan like in the U.S. or a single payer system like in Canada or in many countries across Asia, just private health insurance covered by the individual because there is no government mandated plan. Who are Lydia AI's customers? So we sell at a B2B2C model. So we actually work with insurance companies to validate the health risk score, match it against insurance products. Then from there on, there is a white label application that we give to the insurers who then actually give it to their customers. And that's actually how we reach the 2C. So our customers are insurance companies who then use our technology to serve customers.
1: And where do the brokers fit into this
0: distribution model? So in Asia, a lot of the times, online insurance sales only account for a very small portion of the market. So most of insurance sales are actually still done by agents, either remotely via conference call or in person. So the way that it would work is that a insurance companies would purchase our health risk score, then distribute it to their broker agents. And it's actually the on the ground agents who then push it to the customers and actually use this health report as almost a shared health context to make the best recommendations to the customers and then
1: lead them through the buying process. And when it comes to working with insurance companies as your customers, what information exactly do you provide them? I know that you alluded to wearables and open health data at the beginning of the conversation. So the way it works
0: is customers will consent data, wearable data, such as sleep, step, a accelerometer, if medical devices such as glucose monitors or blood pressure monitors, those are some of the metrics we would take, electronic medical records. We would then ingest it and actually produce a series of health risk scores comparing the person with people in their age and gender group. Now, those risk scores are actually sent directly to the customers first and the customers get this personalized AI health report, they review it, get a better understanding of their health. And should they choose, they can choose a QR code that the agent scans in and what the insurer actually gets is that they just get a green light or a green light for all of the policies that the person can qualify for to buy without a medical exam. So they don't actually get a person's medical records or any of their health risk scores. They just get how does this person actually compare against pre-established thresholds that we've done with the insurer already.
1: What proportion of the data actually comes from wearables versus the eHealth online database? And I'm wondering, do people who not wear wearables, are they at a disadvantage to being excluded from what Lydia AI does?
0: No, because then we have lives, they can actually fill out questionnaire. So the way that like our first iteration, it was just with electronic medical records, actually. And that's because that's the type of data that insurers were most familiar with to underwrite their policies. Then we started adding wearables on top of it. Insurers are starting to really get their feet wet with wearables with the improvements of how they're good there. And they're actually seeing that, hey, these risk assessments are getting much better than they were two, five, 10 years ago, that we can actually start considering them. If they don't have wearables and they don't have health reports, then they can actually fill out a lifestyle questionnaire.
1: And how does Lydia AI validate the data that the consumer is input in the app? So that would need a bit of back checking and you would need a secondary
0: data source to do that. For example, if in lifestyle you say, "Hey, I exercise, you know, 3 times a day, but your steps or your wearable tracker isn't reflecting that, then that is a bit of a red flag for us." So when we think about it, you might get a personalized AI health report just based on lifestyle. Uh, data and you didn't consent anything else, you got a really good score, but for yourself as a consumer, how useful is that for you? Then on the side of the insurer, we would then work with them to say, okay, what kind of essentially data validation checks would you like us to do to get you comfortable around this health risk score? If a consumer just gave out lifestyle data with nothing to actually gut check almost against it, are you still comfortable with that? If they say, hey, you know what, you're not comfortable with that, and then the customer can still get their personalized AI health report based on whatever they inputted, what they wouldn't get is personalized recommendations and pre-approval for certain products.
1: Having looked at the stats, how often do you find that people's biological and chronological ages do in fact differ?
0: Actually, quite a bit. And then you know what, with a AI health report like this, it ends up happening that it there is probably a positive selection here, where the people who want to actively seek out an AI health report are actually those who really care about their health. So more often than not, we actually do see that their risks are a lot lower than the people in their age and gender group. And that's because when you look at it, like you're, you're forced bell curving it. And you know what, the actuality is not bell curved as much as we would like to see that perfect shape of things.
1: Christina, you mentioned earlier that Lydia AI always obtains consent from the end consumers and that, in fact, they receive their health reports first. How exactly do you get their consent to obtain this data? And then how are the reports shared back with them? Through uh,
0: the white label mobile app. So we actually give out the mobile app. So the customers, it's inside the customer's phone and they actually get to pick. This is what I want to share. This is what I don't want to share. Then based on that, let's say they share very little age. The the lowest we can do is just actually gender and age. You're not going to guess anything descriptive, but they will get something back and they can say, wow, this is actually pretty cool. Maybe if I share a little bit more, I'd get a more precise and accurate one. Okay. If I share a little bit more. So it's really about how do you create value for the end customer for the data that you're, that they're providing us. And if customers actually find value in either an AI health report or getting personalized recommendations for this, then they are willing to actually provide their data and do it. Um, In our experience in Taiwan, over 90% of consumers have actually consented their data to us. So um, there's two parts of it. So customers consent to Lydia AI, customers receive a personalized health AI report. So that is the the, the first part of it. And the second part of it is between Lydia AI and the insurer. For us, it's really important that we are maintaining the data privacy and data confidentiality of the customer, end customer.
1: And how does all that in turn help make insurance more accessible for the end consumers?
0: So by two ways, the first way is it radically reduces the barrier to buying this type of health and life insurance. I don't think anybody wants to go get a dog <laughs> wants to go get their blood drawn, which was necessary in the traditional way of risk assessment. So by lowering the barrier of actually buying insurance, more people are going to buy it. Uh, So the customer experience is much better now. They they have a much better understanding of it. And the second portion, and this is uh, what we're really excited to do at Lydia AI, is looking at people who were previously either rejected or end up with a very high rate because of pre-existing diseases. We want to look at this group of underinsured and underserved people and say, based on new sources, that you are actually healthy, Despite your pre-existing conditions, you've made healthy choices. The best example of this is actually people with diabetes who actually have very healthy lifestyles and end up with very healthy futures. So those are the types of people that we look at these groups and we say, okay, so we have the ability to, to actually select out these groups and let's make sure this group of people are able to buy life and health insurance policies affordably.
1: Christina, what have been some of the challenges you face building Lidia AI? I think one of the biggest challenges
0: was finding our way to product market fit. And what I mean by that is because we started out of school, we went the wrong way. We did technology to find a way into a problem where this technology can make an impact, as opposed to you started with the problem and then you found a way to solve this problem. So we definitely went through this very roundabout. So in this journey of actually working towards finding the impact of the technology, that was a really big challenge. Actually trying to tune out, okay, where are the signals, where are the noise? And it was very much actually learning to speak to clients, asking them about their pain points and actually trying to see whether or not there is a fit and being okay when that door gets closed on your face. So I'd say that was one of, our biggest challenges coming out of like being first-time founders, coming out of university with a piece of technology, targeting a behemoth industry like insurance. We've been very lucky to actually have insurance executives on board our teams and actually give us that guidance and give us that expertise. But starting out that journey of getting there was extremely difficult, but very glad we did it.
1: Christina, has regulation
0: been an issue? So the way that we think about regulations it hasn't. The short answer is it hasn't uh, because we play within the regulations. It, it depends on market to market, but really we focus on trying to get insurance to more people. So there are certain things that govern whether or not pricing can actually do it. We don't touch that. We just focus on, OK, this is now thresholding better people green light red light so we actually look at this is what the regulation allows and this is how we're going to play within that boundary in order to help our insurance companies actually get to market faster within the the allowance of regulations
1: you mentioned you do want to expand beyond taiwan with that in mind how can you adapt to other markets given there are different healthcare systems around the world
0: so really the way that i see it is we internationalized from day zero and now we're facing the challenge of okay so how do we actually expand market by market by market by market and insurance is a heavily regulated industry so it looks like okay in each market what is the fastest way to actually show the traction we need to get to where we need to be so the way that we would adapt is we would look at data source availability first then we would look at, okay, some markets, the electronic medical records are just not available, in which case we would look at, okay, well, what about wearable in terms of steps, in terms of sleep, in terms of all of these? If these are available, then we would match that against, okay, what are the needs? Like if this healthcare system looks like this and most of the out-of-pocket expenses are coming from this type of treatments for maybe it's cancer, then we would then actually work with the insurance to look at, Okay, given the data availability here, here are the health risk scores we can produce. How does this match against your risk appetite? Because you know what? Insurance companies are actually the, they they deal in risk. They're like the undertakers of all the risk. How does this match against your risk appetite in order for us to bring something to market? So that is the approach by which we would look at it, regardless of which healthcare system we're in.
1: With that in mind, what's next for Lydia AI?
0: So now that we've proven traction in Taiwan, that was our first market.
1: We actually want to replicate
0: the same model in Singapore, South Korea, and Japan. So those are the markets that we're starting in. And as we get more traction in these, we'll be expanding to the rest of Southeast Asia, followed by Latin America, and then actually the Middle East region. So for us, it's really about how do we reach the next billion people and improve their life, health, and prosperity.
1: All right, Christina, thank you very much for coming on the show. It was wonderful to chat to you. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you subscribe on wherever you're listening to this so you can get notified as soon as new episodes are released. You can listen to this episode on all major podcast streaming platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts, as well as our website, The Global VC, which you can access at 500.co. Until then, you can also stay up to date with 500 Global by following us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all with the handle at 500global. That's all from me today. I'll catch you all on a future episode of Rise of the Next by 500 Global. This podcast is intended solely for general informational or educational purposes only. Under no circumstances should any content provided as part of or any such programs, services, or events be construed as investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice by 500 Startups Management Company, LLC, or any of its affiliates, 500 Global. Python Global makes no representation as to the accuracy or information in this podcast. And while reasonable steps have been taken to ensure that the information herein is accurate and up to date, No liability can be accepted for any such error or omissions, and 500 Global accepts no responsibility for any loss which may arise from reliance on the information in this podcast. Under no circumstances should any information or content in this podcast be considered as an offer to sell or solicitation of interest to purchase any securities advised by 500 Global or any of its affiliates or representatives. Further, no content or information in this podcast is intended as an offer to provide any investment advisory service with regard to securities by 500 Global. Under no circumstances should anything herein be construed as fund marketing materials by prospective investors considering an investment into any 500 Global investment fund. Under no circumstances should any statistics, quotations, or other content be interpreted as testimonials or endorsement of the investment performance of any 500 Global Fund by a prospective investor considering an investment into any 500 Global Fund. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements which involve risks and uncertainties, and actual results may differ materially from any expectations, projections, or predictions made or implied in such forward-looking statements. This podcast includes content delivered by an independent third party that is not related to or controlled by 500 Global. All views and opinions represented in the podcast by such third party are their own views and opinions and do not represent those of 500 Global. 500 Global makes no representations as to or guarantees of specific outcomes from attending or relying on the contents of the podcast.